From Studio A in Podcast Village, Upper Georgetown, Washington, D.C., this is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It's Backroom Politics with your host and moderator, Justin Russell. You know, it's really lonely here in Studio A when you're by yourself. I mean, I'm not by myself, obviously. I'm your host and moderator, Justin Russell, and normally I would introduce the rest of the roundtable, but uh, it's December, it's slow time here, and during the holiday season in Washington, D.C., you'd think. Uh, But uh, behind the glass, keeping us honest, is uh, our friend Charlie Burney, the proprietor and impromptu engineer for Podcast Village. Hello, Charles. I am here, Justin. That's true. I'm, I'm always here to support. And then uh, Maddie, the the engineer, is also working <laughs> uh, working the boards today. Thank She's you, going. Maddie. Yep. And oh, she can hear me now. Yeah. And oh, wait a minute, I'm not alone. Joining us on the phone, it looks like. Do I see the seven eight one number of one author of American Politics on the Rocks, Rich Rubino? Oh, we got to turn them on first. I think. Can you hear me? We can hear you now, Rich. How you doing? Oh, wonderful. Okay, wonderful. Yeah, so this is going to be a unique experience. I'm the only one in studio right now, other than the fact that I've got Maddie and uh, and, and uh, uh, Charlie. Charlie Bernie behind the glass. And I got to tell you something. It's kind of lonely here. You should be here. <laughs> anyway, uh, we have got a lot to talk about. We uh, we are going to do all impeachment, all, all uh, podcasts today. Uh, we record this on Tuesdays, and this morning... In case you didn't see it, we have uh, been given word that the Speaker of the House is, uh, or I'm sorry, Jerry Nadler, the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, has put forward articles of impeachment. There are now two articles, according to various news sources, coming off the hill. Uh, one article of impeachment cites uh, obstruction of Congress, and the other one is for abuse of power. Uh, we have a lot of questions regarding the articles themselves, the procedure, the process, and that is why here shortly we're going to be really fortunate to have uh, one of the premier experts here in Washington, D.C., political lawyer and uh, former general counsel to the majority leader, Tom DeLay, Elliot Burke, will be joining us here in a minute or two. Um, but along with that, uh, we have also seen in the past 24 hours the release of the uh, Department of Justice IG report regarding the use of the FISA warrants by the FBI. That has since created a political storm here in Washington, D.C. We're going to touch on that on this podcast, all having to do with the impeachment. Uh, but, but Rich, real quickly, well, well uh, before we get to Elliot, it, it, this has been a really odd kind of... I want to call it impeachment season here in Washington right now. Are we seeing the lead up to the impeachment of Donald Trump? Is there really any similarity to what we saw with the lead up to Richard Nixon or even Andrew Johnson? Uh, Not really, because, well, in the case of Richard Nixon, there were Democrats. I mean, there were Republicans, rather at least in the Judiciary Committee, like, for example, Senator Hogan, from, or Congressman Hogan from Maryland and Congressman Bill Cohen from Maine, who supported it. In this case, I don't think when you have a vote, and that includes the more liberal members like Bill Hurd of Texas and um, Fred Upton of Michigan, I think you may have a completely party-line vote with perhaps five or six blue dog Democrats uh, voting against the impeachment, but I don't think it was nearly this partisan. This is actually closer to the Clinton impeachment, where you had about five, we only had five Democrats, and they were all, all conservative Democrats, voting for the impeachment, and you had about the same amount voting against it. This is just basically all on partisan lines, so this, that's where I think it's more different. Uh, you know, the, the great thing about you know the holiday season is wishes do come true, and I'm no longer lonely here in Studio A here at Podcast Village. Uh, joining us as he does, he is the Democratic political operative, former Biden political staff, and just all around kind of a holiday festive guy, Dan Lipner Esquire. Hello, Daniel. Uh, we got to turn him on, Charlie. Try it again. No, still can't hear him. Nope. Not yet. Do I need to switch there mics? It is. There we no, go. There it is. There uh, it is. I, 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 think, <laughs> I think you might want to use a different uh, turn of phrase as far as turning my mic on. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, um, that, that said, you know, I, I got to tell Subtle. you. What's that? The, uh, it, it's kind of amazing that we've just learned the, the kind of crap the president is, has been thinking about. Right. Uh, and it's literally... 
how many times it takes to flush. Okay. I just love that. You, you, dude, you know what? I want to wrangle this in. Hey, um, <laughs> excuse me. Uh, joining us on the phone, we are fortunate to have, because again, with this being impeachment season, everybody's kind of asking a lot of questions. Not so much about the politics, but the uh, process. On the phone right now with us is Elliot Burke, uh, the managing partner of uh, Burke Farah, also former general counsel to the majority leader, uh, Tom DeLay. And a uh, good friend of uh, Backroom Politics and mine. Elliot, how are you? I'm great, Justin. How are you? <clears throat> Thanks for joining us, Elliot. I, I really appreciate it. Hey, there's obviously a lot of questions going on. And obviously, I don't want to get into the politics. We'll, we'll pontificate on the politics later on in, in the podcast. But uh, the, the reason why I wanted you on is because, n- number one, uh, you served as the uh, associate special counsel for Ken Starr during the Bill Clinton impeachment. Um, Procedurally, are you seeing any similarities leading up to these articles of impeachment, how we got to this point versus what we saw uh, almost two decades ago? Well, you know, it's uh, it's certainly brought back memories. Uh, I actually worked for the Independent Counsel's Office after the Senate impeachment trial. Right. Um, I worked for Senator Collins of Maine during the impeachment trial. Uh, I was her counsel for that. Um, and, yeah, there are a lot of similarities, but I think there's a lot of differences, too. Uh, namely that, um, you know, well, two things really come to mind. One is that, uh, you know, my recollection is that the, you know, the House sort of shied away from the abuse of power article Um you know, and in terms of the Senate trial, it was it was the two articles, perjury and obstruction of justice. Um, and that's something that I think uh, is going to continue to be referenced is that, you know, in terms of how this thing is considered, there's one thing to have the underlying crime article and there's another to have something like abuse of power, which can be viewed uh, potentially as more political in nature. Um, the other thing is that, uh, you know, I have a very vivid memory. It was um, it was around the time of the, the Clinton impeachment trial, the movie The Truman Show was out, and uh, the sort of tagline was, was how is it going to end? And I remember thinking that in terms of the, the Clinton impeachment trial, because everyone knew how it was going to end. It was just a question of getting there. And, um, you know, there was you know, I, I don't want to speak for them, but it was certainly the impression we had that Senators Lott and Daschle both knew how it was going to end and they wanted to work towards that. And so there was a little bit more uh, comedy, um, C-O-M-I-T-Y, not comedy. A comedy like that these days. Like the Truman Show. Exactly. Um, that, you know, and I don't think that's just a, a you know, nostalgia. Uh, it's just a very different environment now and you have a different um, – you know, completely different set of allegations. And so, you know, I don't think you're going to have the Senate majority leader and Democratic leader agreeing as much on the process moving forward, you know, presumably if articles get sent over to the Senate. So let's let's talk about a little bit about how we got to to the articles. Um, the, the big question that everybody's asking is, number one, confirm the fact that, you know, we've been saying all along throughout this process, this is not a legal or a judicial process, as we would assume would happen in a court of law. This is a political process. Is that is that, is that an accurate way of putting it? it? It is. I mean, it is a political process that is, um, you know, has a lot of legal process uh, built into it, or at least appearance of it. Um, but you know, it is a very different process, and there, you know, we use words like trial and depositions and things like that. But um, you know, ultimately, the, the the fundamental rules of how this works is that it takes two thirds of the Senate to remove a president, and um, you know, there's you have to consider whether there's a burden of proof. What's the set burden of proof? Um, you know, while certain pieces of evidence may be ruled inadmissible on the floor of the Senate by the chief justice. Um, does that really matter? Because at the end of the day, we all know that senators are going to you know, pay attention to these things too. And so, um, you know, it is, it is an inherently political process and, 
you know, even backing up to saying what is high crimes and misdemeanors, you can argue from a legal perspective what that means, but Gerald Ford was right. In the end of the day, it's whatever the House deems it to be. Is 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 this process so subjective? Uh, I've I've heard several people just say, "Look, th- th- this is just more of a political kabuki dance than it is any sort of uh, movement to get a uh, a punishment against a bad acting figure in the Oval Office." Is this, in fact, a political kabuki dance that we're going through? Well, I, I think it depends on what you mean about punishment, and um, you know, even with respect to the Clinton impeachment. Um, and the ultimate, I worked on the ultimate, you know, quasi plea deal that, uh, president Clinton entered into, uh, just on his way out of office. Right. You know, there's other, the U S attorney's manual, you know, talks about other ways to, um, suit justice. And so when you say, you know, a kabuki dance or punishment, well, you know, some may take the position that. Uh, being impeached is it sense essentially a form of punishment. And then having a Senate trial and a vote, no matter how it turns out, is a sense of punishment. And there will be all sorts of things, this much I guarantee, um, because we went through it, there'll be all sorts of things discussed uh, about alternative you know, resolutions to this trial, including censure, findings of fact, you know, a separate vote on findings of fact. Uh, when I worked for Senator Collins, uh, I actually went to the law library, the Library of Congress, and read the transcript of every impeachment trial we've ever had. And as I'm sure you're aware, a lot of them were judicial. Right. And, you know, one of the things that jumped out at me was, you know, again, we dress this up as a legal proceeding. But the other was that we make these things up as we go along every time. And so I think the very first impeachment trial uh, was for a judge. Um, it, it's important to actually go back and, and look at this because it was for a judge who was um, basically just accused of being a, a drunkard. Right. And, uh, you know, you that's interesting because is being a drunk on the bench a high crime or misdemeanor, um, at least at the time the Senate or the House determined that it was. And the other thing that was interesting about that trial was that um, there were actually two votes held, one to convict and one to remove. And there was a senator, I think, actually from Maine, if I recall, who switched his vote. He voted not to convict, but then voted to remove because uh, he said, if a majority of my colleagues vote to convict, that that um, uh, the, the judge should be removed. I bring that up for a couple of points. One, again, to show just sort of how these things evolve over time and how they're viewed, but also that, you know, that's the type of thing I expect could potentially be put on the table that, you know, let's have two votes here so that we can then, you know, that's another form of punishment that if we vote to convict but not remove, as an example, that's something. Or, as I said, findings of fact, where there's sort of, we all agree this happened, but we're just not going to vote to remove because that's obviously... Well, that, I mean, that would... I mean, actions can be taken. Yeah, Dan Lipner, go ahead. So, um, uh, well, that sounds like it could be an interesting move that could actually uh, provide some interesting political cover for for Republicans who want to scold the pres- president but don't want to remove the president, um, and since, since you have uh, worked for uh, sorry <laughs> sorry for the sound on, on the mic I have a black lab in my lap at the moment. <laughs> um, do you think that's something that, that the current uh, Senate would go for splitting the votes? I I, I think anything is possible because again. Uh, you know, I, I I truly don't believe at the end of the day, um, I would I would I would hazard to guess that not even a majority of the Senate, and obviously it takes two thirds, really want to remove the president uh, in the sense that they want punishment. But you know, this is as drastic an action has been taken, and obviously we've had you know three of these in our history, or at least uh, almost three, and. That's never happened. So, you know, anything that I think gives people cover and also makes them feel like, you know, to the extent that they're seeking justice, uh, the justice is done. And as I said, there is other ways to serve justice. And well, so, yeah, I think that I look, you know, will it happen? I have no idea. But I think that all those things will be uh, considered because 
you know, we I, we know what the end vote is going to be, or at least in terms of it not being two thirds. Um, but how you get there is going to be a very different process than it was, you know, twenty some years ago. Let me ask. Let me ask you the the. I keep hearing the the number of fifty one. And it has to do with the witness list going to the floor of the Senate from the House. Uh, why is that number so important, and what does that mean? I mean, does, does this mean we're going to see people we didn't think we'd see? Uh, are we going to see a new round of subpoenas coming out from the Senate floor? How's this going to work? Well, I, I think that, you know, obviously you can't run an impeachment trial with a two-thirds vote on everything and nothing will get done. Um, so it's just all about moving the ball forward. You know, it, it was it was also hotly debated last time, and obviously given the nature of the allegations, you know, there was a, a, a different sensitivity to the, uh, you know, what was being discussed. Um, and that's why it ended up being deposition uh, testimony, um, you know, videotaped. And so <clears throat> I think that yeah, I, I don't. I don't necessarily think that's going to happen this time around. I think to probably have more live witnesses, um, you know. So the number fifty-one is just simply about approving the list and you know having the process to move it forward. But how those witnesses testify, I think, will be different than last time. So you're going to have more live witnesses. So going back to going back to the 51 number, th- this means that this is not going to go. Sh- this can't proceed forward uh, as as we would conceive it to do without there being. It, this is not going to go just strict party lines like we saw in the House yesterday, as far as procedural votes goes. There's got to have to be one Democrat to vote with Republicans or w- several Republicans voting with Democrats for this to actually move forward. Is that accurate? Well, I mean, the the current makeup of the Senate isn't 50-50. So, right. Um, but majority plus one. R- right. Well, well, but it's not a 50-50 majority, is it? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. I mean, does, does yeah. that gonna get, is that going to give the Republicans a, a much stronger hand as far as uh, controlling the witness list, as far as maybe seeing subpoenas go out to people like uh, some of the names that we heard from the Republicans in the House? Yeah, I mean, obviously the majority, if it's if, if all it requires is a, a, a majority vote, then sure, it's going to help you know, Republicans along those lines. But, but again, you know, is that going to change the ultimate dynamic and votes? Um, you know, it's at the end of the day, every decision is still going to be measured in terms of the political you know, impact, especially for those who are in cycle. And so if they're on the record for those votes, uh, you may end up getting some pretty strange votes. You know, it, it, I, I don't necessarily think it'll be party line. For instance, if, you know, there was uh, an attempt to subpoena Hunter Biden or, you know, something, somebody involved on that side of the equation, um, you know, I think that you're going to end up having a lot of, uh, you know, you're going to have a lot of Republicans that are going to really think about that. Okay. Yeah, you know, let me, can I just ask you a question? Um, just in terms of, I'm just going to go back to the Monica Lewinsky thing, if I can. A lot of people, I think, don't understand how that went from white from the Whitewater land deal to Monica Lewinsky. Do you have any idea, could you explain kind of the chronology of how it went from a land uh, deal I, in Arkansas I'd to the Lewinsky I, and Paula I, Jones I, uh, and everything else? I, I'm, I'm more than happy to, and even to this day, uh, I'm going to I'm going to predicate it or uh, with uh, as as right as I can get it. I still have okay. people when I explain it say to me, "So it was just all about sex." So uh, I'll still right. do my best. Um, so okay. the whole evolution of how I got there was that um, Hillary Clinton had a law partner named Webb Hubble, who ultimately came into the administration, and he was uh, the number three at the Justice Department, Associate Attorney General. Uh, he was being investigated at the time for overbilling his clients. And so he resigned and left the administration and was ultimately indicted for that. Uh, when he left office um, and the independent counsels, first it started under special counsel Fisk and then independent counsel Starr, um, was investigating that, it became... Uh, apparent to them that uh, a 
lot of friends of the Clintons had hired Webb uh, to be a consultant to them. And uh, he ultimately didn't declare a lot of the compensation he received from these friends of the Clintons uh, on his taxes. And uh, it appeared that he did little to no work for the compensation. So the concern or the the, um, uh, allegation at the time was, was he being paid hush money because of the other, because of the broader investigation into Whitewater for, um, for, you know, what he knew about the Clintons uh, because he wasn't doing any work. And a lot of these people that had hired him were friends of the Clintons. So flash forward um, when the Lewinsky matter came to the independent counsel's office, uh, the allegation was that one of these people, one of the same people was Vernon Jordan and that he had offered uh, Monica Lewinsky a job. And, you know, so you have this pattern of individuals they are aware that, um, Monica Lewinsky uh, had offered Linda Tripp things of value to influence oh, okay. her testimony. And so that's really what the nexus was. It wasn't anything you know, beyond that. And that's why, um, and ultimately, you know, they went to the special division of the U.S. Court of Appeals in D.C. And, and got the expanded jurisdiction. Now, that being said, you know, Judge Starr has been pretty forthright in saying that even though that nexus was there, uh, he should have still declined the the matter because of you know the the controversy around him at the time. But you know it really, like I said, I don't win I don't win the day very often. But it was not about sex. It really was about this potential obstruction and hush money and the pattern between the two matters that came in. Right. Hey, okay, um, one quick. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, real, real quick, Rich. No, just real quick question, and just curious if you can tell me what is the nexus? How did former Governor Jim Guy Tucker get involved, and why do you think Bill Clinton pardoned Susan McDougal but not Webb Hubble and Jim Guy Tucker? I, I think you have to ask uh, the president that. Jim Guy Tucker. I mean, the uh, the the allegations against him were related to some of the financial transactions, right. uh, but that was largely an independent matter. But why? I, I can tell you. With respect to the pardons, uh, I personally met with then Deputy Attorney General Eric Holder uh, mm-hmm. about the pardons because we essentially um, stood in the stead of a U.S. attorney, and U.S. attorneys were, um, as a matter of process within the Justice Department, are supposed to be consulted when pardon applications come in. And so we had met with uh, Deputy Attorney General Holder just to say, hey, don't forget about us. You know, this would fall in our um, you know, our area. And, uh, you know, that was a, they were straight up conversations and it ultimately the president didn't go through the normal process. He just decided on his own to pardon, um, Susan McDougal right. and why he decided the others, I don't know. But, uh, as far as I know, you know, the deputy attorney general and the criminal division and the, the office of pardon attorney weren't even consulted there. So I'll leave that right. one to, so- you know, <laughs> so, Elliot, a uh, couple last qu- questions. You've been really generous with your time. I know you're real busy. The um, the, the, the first question is, uh, is there wheeling and dealing that, that could potentially happen in the Senate between both parties? Uh, you know, we don't have the ex parte communication requirements, or are there? Like you would in, like, uh, communication with the jury or with the judge in a legal case, uh, is there going to be some willing and dealing where we might look at possible censure, conviction, but not removal, or we just got to go uh, full on and stay into your ground? Oh, I absolutely think there'll be plenty of wheeling and dealing. And my guess is at the end of the day, it'll be for naught and you'll just have a straight up vote. But yeah, I think there's absolutely going to be a lot of, you know, wheeling and dealing like that. And, you know, again, it's a trial, but do you think, um, you know, I mean, there's plenty of prejudging going on. Senators are making statements on both sides, uh, whether you're for or against. So, you know, right. you can't really argue jury tampering or things like that. It's, you know, they're not sequestered or anything. Um, so they'll all be talking to each other and they'll be talking to, you know, plenty of third parties. too. Right. And the other, the other question everybody has is, should they go to some sort of deal or their votes come up this way? Uh, is a conviction 
but not removal a draw? Is that a shallow victory for Republicans? Do Democrats get to claim some sort of victory on this? I, you know, I think at the end of the day, the answer probably is, is what happens in the next election. Um, you know, uh, impeachments, I, I've said for a long time, and I, I actually see this in Speaker Pelosi's defense, um, I mean, she was backed into this. The train was coming, and, and unfortunately, once this train starts, there's really no way to get out of the way uh, unless you, you know, derail it early. But um, I thought this was inevitable for a couple of reasons. One is you can't continue to make allegations like were being made without considering impeachment. And then the second one, which is, I think, a very important one, although it hasn't really borne out yet, is that um, because the position the administration has taken on um, uh, denying witnesses to testify, um, the Congress, you know, at least the Democratic side of the House, is a much better position in the courts if they're in impeachment posture. And I, you've started to see that a little bit, but but not yet. And, and so um, what that means is, look, you know, don't forget uh, how many seats the Republicans lost and, you know, Speaker Gingrich resigned after starting this process and what happened in the November election that year, right. Winners and losers, you know, you, you gotta just wait and see okay. um, because it can really cut, it can cut both ways. Yeah. Uh, Dan Lipner, last question and uh, we'll cut Elliot loose. Well, uh, Elliot, so there's one major question. There's one variable that we sort of literally haven't heard from on this. And based on your research, I'm kind of curious what your take on it would be. Um, Chief, Chief Justice Roberts, when if once there is an impeachment trial in the Senate, he could very well be an interesting variable, especially considering uh, what the administration might be going for as far as potentially wanting to get into issues of uh, Vice President Biden and his son. I mean, could Chief Justice Roberts, in theory, while presiding, hear an objection and say, you know, that information is not pertinent to this trial. How, oh, yeah. how, how, how much leeway does he have in presiding over the trial? Well, you know, that's, that's a really great question. And at the end of the day, um, he makes a ruling. Uh, how's it going to be questions? <laughs> you know, like at the end, you know, that's, that's, it's an interesting, I mean, there was a lot of talk at the time about what role uh, Chief Justice Rehnquist was going to play. And I think if you recall, he pretty much just sat there. It was pretty much ceremonial. Uh, it was not, yeah, right. Yeah. It, was, it was ceremonial, but active, but in, in part right. because the facts on the field were kind of laid out there separately, where the administration in this case has opted to sit on their hands or go in a completely different direction. And in a right. trial, a judge can say that's not pertinent to this case. So it seems like a, a wild variable since an objection yeah. could be sustained by the chief justice. Is, I guess the question is, e, is is there a possibility we could see Chief Justice actually calling balls and strikes on this? It's certainly possible. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, managing partner of Burke Farah and good supporter of background politics, Elliot Burke. Uh, Elliot, my friend, always good having you on the show. Hope we can have you on during this process. We're going to need some help on this. Sounds great. Happy to do so. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Elliot. Thanks, uh, guys. We're going to take Thank a, you. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, what we usually talk about on the first podcast of the week, and that's impeachment. We're going to talk about the release of uh, the hearings that happened. It's lots going on here in Washington, D.C. We'll be back in one minute. Stand with us.
Village, Upper Georgetown, Washington, D.C. This is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It's Backroom Politics with your host and moderator, Justin Russell. And I want to thank uh, Elliot Burke, political attorney here in D.C., and a great perspective. We really needed that to kick off impeachment season as we go forward. As the articles of impeachment have been announced by the Speaker, Nancy Pelosi, as submitted by Jerry Nadler, the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. Uh, Lots going on this week. Yesterday we had the uh, very interesting uh, hearing in the House Judiciary Committee. Uh, Dan, I got to ask you a question. You know, no, I would not bring my papers to work (laughs) in a Safeway bag. In a Safeway bag, yeah. That that that, okay? Because I mean, because now all I picture is his wife shopping at Safeway with a Redwell. (laughs) <laughs> Which I, I don't know if that's true or not. Inside the inside, oh, Charlie got that joke. That's fantastic. Oh yeah. Um, so here's the thing: is uh, just the absolute optics of that hearing yesterday. You had Jerry Nadler. Jerry Nadler did not and has not looked like he's had control of this of this committee, let alone the hearings. Since these impeachment hearings began, it started with Corey Lewandowski, and it's just gone downhill till the fiasco we saw yesterday. Is that surprising, or am I over? Am I being overcritical of Jerry Nadler? I think you're you're being overcritical of Jerry Nadler. In part, it's because of the House rules and how things work, and having to go through the ridiculous motions and objections from the minority uh, that all of which needed to be gaveled and be heard and be objected and be voted on, and including whether or not there were going to be breaks. I mean, some of the stuff was just absolute nonsense. It was supposed to drag out and also into the Republicans' credit. And to be clear, they weren't hiding the ball on this. They said they were going to play the obstructionist game uh, during the hearings, and that's what they did, and it was to make the thing unwatchable. But, and that said, even when they got through all that nonsense, but they tried that. They tried that with their guy did terrible. The Democrats guy did great. Right. Well, <laughs> but they. I mean, they they tried that with Richard Schiff, and 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 it didn't. You know, it, it kind of. I'm, I'm sorry. Um, yeah. Adam Schiff. Uh, Adam Schiff. Richard they, Schiff is in Law and Order. Yeah, that's right. Uh, no, he was <laughs> they didn't in. Didn't try it with him though. Yeah, no kidding. But uh, Adam Schiff, they tried it with Chairman Schiff, and it didn't work. Uh, but even Chairman Schiff, as they were trying to do that whole procedural vote, roll call vote, whole nine yards to slow the process down, and as you said, make it unwatchable, Schiff seemed to have. It pretty well laid out and under control. Nadler didn't. Is that is that a potential problem going forward, or does Jerry Nadler not manage this going it, into it, the Senate? It, it it doesn't matter. It doesn't. Um, as as far as the actual hearing, aside from being a colossal annoyance, um, and part of that annoyance was probably to get, see if they could get Democrats to take the ba- the bait to actually grandstand and look as idiotic as Jim Jordan did during all both sets of hearings. Um, and thankfully and uncharacteristically, no Democrat on either committee looked as foolish as Jim Jordan did on both committees. Yeah, no, 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 that, that's, that's <laughs> true. That's true. Uh, but here's, here's the, the other question is, Rich, I ask you, um, you, you know, we, we saw hysterics in both the Intelligence Committee and as recently as yesterday in the Judiciary Committee, uh, we didn't see this kind of made-for-TV drama that we did uh, during the Clinton or even the Nixon hearings, did we? Um, I don't think so. Not, I don't think so. Um, I just want to say quickly, Jim Jordan, interestingly, for some reason, Republicans thought it was a wise idea to put him on the Intelligence Committee because they thought he was going to ask these great questions or something. I don't know um, how he's necessarily benefited. Yeah, I, am, and, I am certain that was by re- a direct request of the president. I am right. certain of it. Oh, yeah. The, I, the, the word we're getting is is that the president loves watching Jim Jordan go off. Uh, him and Matt Gates are like you know the Wonder Twins for Donald Trump. Uh, I will tell you that that was probably pre-selected by a, an edict coming down from 1600. Interesting, no, because interesting because I didn't, I don't, I didn't see necessarily how he was this great prosecutor. But at any rate, 
Um, at any rate, no, I think that what I think that what you got to remember is that this is the Judiciary Committee, and the Judiciary Committee is generally a more partisan committee than other committees, including the Intelligence Committee. If you get on the Intelligence Committee, you're probably not necessarily getting on there because you're a partisan. I mean, look at someone like Adam Schiff, even though he's come off as a partisan, he hasn't always necessarily been the most liberal Democrat. The people who get on the Judiciary Committee, generally specifically the Republicans, they're often the ones that campaign, for example, and saying we need conservative justices, we need, um, you know, we, we need to overturn Roe v. Wade. So they're kind of ideological warriors in many respects. That's why I think you have some of the more partisan members. And obviously partisan members have to placate their base. And the best way to do that is in those five minutes to say basically to, to, to speak in as, many, in as partisan and ideological terms as they possibly can. But, you know, it reminded me, this whole, the whole thing reminded me of Mo Udall's famous quote. He said, you know, everything's been said, but not everyone said it yet. And if you right. listen to every Republican, virtually every Republican and every line, Democrat, right. you knew exactly what they were going to say. And, you knew exactly, and it wasn't even necessarily about some of them doing even ask questions of the uh, prosecutor, I mean, of the, um, of the minority and majority council. So much it was just them essentially placating their base and saying, you know, I, I just want to show to Rush Limbaugh and to Glenn Beck and everybody out there that I'm on your side and that, you know, don't primary me. Yeah, but here's the thing. Here's what I don't get, though, is... The Republicans, it's almost a self-inflicted wound that they're creating for themselves. It would be so easy, and I think that they would win over a lot of voters, and particularly the independent voters, that may not have made their critical decision on which way to go on this whole impeachment thing. I would guess that if they had just stuck with one line and said, Show me what the president did was illegal. Show me what he did that constitutes impeachment and removal. If they stay with that, because again, this is all subjective, but if they had stayed with that as the mantra instead of going into all the dramatics and even invoking Biden, you know, the Biden family and Burisma. I think they would do themselves a great service. Well, the problem is the Democrats, the, the the Judiciary Committee hearing was about answering that question. The the four uh, uh, professors that were on on the stage as 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 experts in, in the Constitution. Which, another flaming disaster. Well, for the Republicans, because even their I guy said, the Democrats. <laughs> even their guy said, no, it was far from perfect. Yeah, yeah, and. So the 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 only problem I had with the Democrats in in questioning of of the Republicans' witness was not actually engaging him more. Uh, I actually thought the arguments were pretty weak as far as um, the suggesting that the the Democrats hadn't gone through the judicial process far enough. Uh, for contempt of Congress, and well, I, I, I thought that was problematic. Yeah, but, but but you know, again, you know, you have it, it's almost like that nobody's done any prep on defense going into these hearings. You know, you had you had uh, Congressman Gomer and you had Congressman Sensenbrenner, both attorneys, screaming about witness badgering and uh, you know leading questions. And several times, Chairman Nadler, the one time he actually looked like he had control, in my opinion, he, he sat there and said, hey, you're not in the court of law. What are you talking about? Uh, it, it just seems that there was no real good yeah, defense it's prep. Like inside baseball. But so, it, I know, but I mean, is it? I mean, this, so there, there were a couple of mistakes that. Uh, Chairman Nadler did make, and part of it was saying we're going to follow the federal rules of evidence and then proceed to not follow the federal rules of evidence. <clears throat> that was actually a legitimate argument on the Republicans' what rules point. Of that, what rules of evidence? It's not a judicial or legal hearing. Which is the correct statement as opposed to saying that we're going to follow follow the federal rules of evidence and sustain objections okay. and all that. Um, the actual correct answer is this is not a court of law. We are we are we are Congress and we are investigating and we're doing this on behalf of the American people and we are doing it with it with every tool we have at our disposal because the issues are that serious. That would have been a much better answer to start off the hearing with. You would have thought you you would have absolutely thought that that would have been a better statement. But Rich Rubino, is this looking like they're? Almost doing this off the cuff as opposed to a, a good strategy? 
I don't think so. I mean, I can't imagine that someone, you know, whether it be a Jerry Nandler or anyone in this, anyone in this committee, knowing that they're essentially going to be in front of a national audience, would somehow do this off the cuff. Now they may want to appear that they're trying to, that they make one appear that it's not as staged or not as orchestrated. But I think it's generally pretty orchestrated. I, don't, I can't imagine any other scenario. But does this hurt the Democrats going into 2020? No, I think. Oh, sorry. No, no, no go ahead, Rich. No, go ahead, Rich, yeah. and we'll go to Yeah, the... I, think that the, I think that the people that it hurts right now, it puts the 31 Democrats who, who, are, who are, represent districts, that don't, who represent the districts that Donald Trump won in a kind of untenable position. I don't think it's necessarily their death warrant, but I think that the fact that some of these folks are going to have to vote, someone like Mac Rose in New York, Joe Cunningham in South Carolina, um, Kendra Horn in Oklahoma, if, that, if these folks vote for the impeachment of Donald Trump, then you know that that's going to be the flagship issue against them is that they're not is that they basically they ran on health care. They ran on drug prices and they got there and they impeached the president that this district elected. I think they're really in an untenable position. But Nancy Pelosi had her hands tied as she didn't want. This wasn't necessarily what she wanted to what she wants to go into the two 2020 elections on. She wants to go on and say, you know, we've done this on trade. We've done this on prescription drugs. We've done this on health care. But I think that um, in terms of the pres- in terms of at the presidential level, I think that whoever the presidential candidate is, they're probably going to be it, the fact that Donald Trump was impeached is going to galvanize a lot of is going to galvanize a lot of folks on the left to come out right. and potentially throw, hold their nose and potentially vote for a more moderate candidate, not because they not because they passed an ideological litmus test, but because they just simply want Trump out Trump out of R- out the door. R- R- I mean, uh, Dan Lipner. So uh, on that, there are t- two points to take note of. So let's start first with contrasting where we are with the Clinton impeachment with the pending Trump impeachment. Uh, at the high water mark, maybe the high 20s, low 30 percent of, of Americans uh, thought the, pres- the, the, the process was worthy of impeachment for Bill Clinton. Uh, we are at 51 percent are in favor of removal, 70 percent <laughs> believe uh, President Trump then- did something wrong. But that's not even the that so that's part of it. So okay. in con, so for the electoral math, uh, the Republicans that lost their seats going forward with the Clinton impeachment, um, you have to deal with the math of the yeah. It, most of the country is not there. Uh, where in this case, a, a simple majority of the country is is there on removal and is most certainly there on something wrong. Um, Going beyond that, and this is where uh, Speaker Pelosi part, part two is so much more impressive than Speaker Pelosi part one. Her finger is so on the pulse of right wing nonsense. Um, the fact that the same day, today, where the articles of impeachment are 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 introduced or or put out there today for, being for Tuesday, let's Tuesday remind, for this public for for public consumption. Um, is also the day she announced where we have an agreement on the NAFTA part yeah, two yeah. on USMCA, and that is in part part of the narrative of the two hundred and some odd bills that are sitting on Senator McConnell's desk waiting for the Senate action, basically pointing out that look, we are doing our job and impeaching the president. You cannot say we aren't doing our work. And by the way, the health care stuff is also part of the so conversation. If, so anyway, if, if, <laughs> yeah. if you're the Donald Trump White House right now, if you're the Donald Trump White House right now, you kind of got a little bit of an identical. You're kind of dizzy. You're trying to do a victory lap on USMCA agreement, as announced by Speaker Pelosi, literally within minutes of her announcing, hey, we're also bringing articles well, of impeachment. it's fascinating because you actually got Richard Trump of the AFL-CIO you had the AFLCA, you have labor unions agreeing to a trade agreement. I mean, this is almost unprecedented. Um, you, you, it's essentially, you have the trade representative for the Trump administration meeting with the labor, labor leaders and saying, yeah, this is a good agreement. So you have Nancy Pelosi on the same side here as Donald Trump. But I just want to say one thing quickly about the impeachment of uh, Bill Clinton. I can think of two representatives, incumbent representatives, who probably lost their seat based on their impeachment vote. The first was probably Jay Dickey, who represented the congressional district that includes Hope, Arkansas, and Hot Springs, Arkansas, the two places that Bill Clinton um, grew up in. Right. Mike Ross defeated him. And the other one, the interesting one, was there was a fellow named James, James Rogan, who was actually one of the impeachment managers from California. Right. And he lost to a young upstart who said that impeachment was essentially taking up too much of the, too much of the Congress's time, and they should be spent instead of on the congressional district. And his name was Adam Schiff. Adam Schiff, right. Yeah, <laughs> interesting. Um, it, 
before we go, I I, I want to talk about a little bit this thing going forward. Number one, did, the toilet issue. No, no, we're not talking about the toilet issue. <laughs> I think no. the, the president was talking about toilets. I don't, I don't, I don't care. I don't. Wait, it's the highest seat in the land. He's I, talking about it. How, how can you say that's not important? Because we are literally going through a political process that has happened only. Three other times in the history of our country. Are you suggesting the president of the United States doesn't know what's actually important? Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah. Have you met? Have you seen this? I mean, really, Dan? Do you really have to? You, you, you know, you know something, Charlie. You, you know, I, I sometimes I, adulting is hard. I've come to the conclusion that adulting is hard now, Charlie. Hey, I have tw- nineteen-year-old twins. I agree. Oh, okay. I'm not going to compare to that. No, we're good then. Okay. I will say this: though. William Henry Harrison was never impeached. It, <laughs> <laughs> the one who served for 31 okay. days and died. Okay. Yeah, we're, 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 I don't believe this. I've lost total control. Okay, you are in historical timeout. You cannot bring up anything prior to 1988, okay? Just just, just right there, right now. Um, okay. Uh, the, the, the last thing I want to ask about this thing going forward is, we, met, we talked about it with Elliot in, in the first segment, but... Is there a deal to be had here? Are, are, are the Democrats and Republicans smart enough in the Senate to try and at least make it somewhat of a political draw? Either A, we'll come to agreement on censure, uh, we'll come to agreement on conviction, which gives Democrats overhead, but not removal because that means he can still run and then it's up to the ballot box. Could we see a deal happening? If the deal includes a President Pence, maybe. You, you you don't think that they that the Democrats would be willing to make a deal that although Trump stays in office, he does get a conviction or a censorship. Again, I, I it, it would have to be offered by the Republicans. Um, and that said, I think everyone would be ecstatic to see a President Pence, including every Republican in the Senate. I'm not sure about that. I mean, look, you're talking about Maybe with the exception of Kevin Kramer, who is uh, well, okay, but 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 again, I, I, and John Kennedy, but he, but here's the thing: is you've got, I mean, this is where we get into bizarro land. If you look at the mantras that are being put out by members, of, you know, senior ranking Republicans, both Senate and House, they're literally perpetrating. All of these conspiracy theories that were drawn up by a bunch of tinfoil hat-wearing folk, and they're promoting these theories that were established by a foreign intelligence service in Russia. You don't think that there's got to be some sort of median high water that we can come to an agreement that says, look, you get to keep your tinfoil hat president, but we're going to keep a hide. If you want to roll dice, you know... The problem with the tinfoil hat business is it's actually dangerous. I mean, when all is said and done, I mean, the substance of what occurred, what we know occurred uh, with Ukraine and the withholding of funds only begs the question, what do we not know that's actually dangerous floating out around out there as well? I mean, a number number of civil servants literally took their you careers in their hands. But you have Senator Ron Johnson, you have Senator, you, you, you have uh, uh, Senator Ted Cruz uh, all promoting this Ukraine infiltrated. Uh, you've got, I mean, you, you've got the tinfoil hat crowd in the House Judiciary Intelligence. I mean, Jordan Gates and the rest of that crowd going forward on this. Uh, it, it, it just strikes me that we can make this all go away. Get a quick, tri- you know, get a quick trial through the Senate. We'll give you your president, but you're going to give us something, whether it's a, whether it's a censure or you're going to give us a uh, a conviction. I mean, I just with- think. Well, go ahead, Rich. No, I was just saying. I just don't. I just don't see where the benefit necessarily would be for the Democrats in that because I mean, I think it's a foregone conclusion that the Republicans, it's there, he'll be impeached, but then once it gets to the Senate. There will not be two-thirds of the Republicans who will vote for it anyway. So I think it's a foregone conclusion what's going to happen. One of Vice President Pence will have Donald Trump, and he's going to use this as some sort of a badge of, 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 a, badge, of, a badge of honor, saying, you know, they, look what they tried to Rich, do, and I'm still here, and I'm still your president. Rich, where are you broadcasting from? The North Pole? Where are you? In, a, in, in the Elv Workshop? 
Oh, am I? Am I, am I is there a problem with the audio? Or no, we, we just heard we just heard like ringing coming from the background. Oh, there was another phone. <laughs> I, I thought it was elves. I yeah. thought it, was, I, it sounded it sounded like the north. It, it looked was like very Santa, festive. It was. It sounded like Santa's workshop. Good God. Oh well, obviously that, that's a that's very good point. That's not the intent. That's not the intention we're going for. No, no, I mean, I, I, I mean, I hear what you're saying, Justin. And this is for the Bill Clinton impeachment. Um, that was. That was a plausible solution, and to some extent, that's what happened. That that the 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 the, the president uh, President Clinton was impeached. The trial went through, and he, he was publicly smacked down and for for uh, his own actions, and uh, he was also dis disbarred uh, both by Arkansas and the U.S. Supreme Court. Those were all things that were embarrassing, um, and that was arguably the. A, 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 a comedy between uh, the left and the right that said, all right, we need to do something here. But in this case, so the, none of those were issues of actual uh, public policy, act, national security issues or anything of substance for the actual country. This is right. different. <laughs> uh, OK, I, I mean, but it, it's. It, it gets convoluted. It, get, it, it gets completely... it's, it's being convoluted. But they are deliberately no, no, muddying the waters the no, on the right, the problem, which is part though. of my own frustration, the disingenuousness and the cynical nature of everything that's being done. No, but it, it's working, though. I mean, that you literally have 51% of the American people say the president should be removed compared to 30% got, during the Clinton administration. You've also got a it's lot not of working people, that well. <laughs> well, you, you still have a lot of people that are also looking at the fact I've heard people here in D.C. talking about, uh, you know, the... You know the the jazz hands that are the Bidens and Burisma. It, it you know now people are starting to ask. Well, okay, it's hurt Joe Biden's presidential campaign. You cannot argue that. Uh, it, it this is really taking damage, and people are starting to buy in the fact that well, yeah, maybe the Obama and uh, <clears throat> maybe the Obama and Biden tag team were as corrupt as uh, Donald Trump and his gang. Right, and so, and that's an interesting argument. However, but the, what I'm the, saying the, is, the, the argument's the, holding. So it's holding because the narrative, the counter narrative, hasn't really hasn't really solidified yet. And I've I've talked to friends of mine on the, on the right who say, yeah, you know, Joe Biden's as dirty as as everyone else, which there is. Literally nobody that I know who's ever dealt with uh, former Vice President Biden uh, when he was Senator Biden or any other sense that suggests that's true. Um, and let me also be clear. I, I am not suggesting that that Hunter Biden, uh, uh, Joe Biden's uh, surviving son, is as clean as driven snow. I'm absolutely not <coughs> saying that. However... One is not necessarily the other. You are not convicted by by, by the issues but of your family. Here's 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 the problem: is you still have the videotape of Joe Biden talking about, "Hey, I got uh, I got the prosecutor in Kiev fired. Uh, but we and, held back a million dollars. I mean, and and the conspiracy theory has to go down the road of getting all of that's the, not a conspiracy uh, no, no, theory. Let, though. let me finish." Joe Biden was carrying the water of the entire EU along with that, that also wanted the prosecutor fired. So that the suggestion has to be made that that Joe Biden got the 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 UK, the Germans, the French and everyone else in the EU to to change their position somehow magically about the Ukrainian prosecutor just for his boy, I hear you. which is insane. No, but I, I look, I hear you. I hear you. But the problem that you have, Dan, is the optics of this. Everything in this town is optics. And you have a seated vice president whose son is on the board of a natural gas company that is potentially under investigation by the central government in the Ukraine. And all of a sudden they get this guy fired. Now, here's where I'll defend you, Dan. Is do I believe that Joe Biden was in fact promoting U.S. foreign policy, which is his, which is part of his job? Was he promoting U.S. foreign policy as it related to the in, into the Ukraine? I do. Has Ukraine been a corrupt cesspool of governance? Absolutely. The problem is that 
you're starting to see some of the bleed out of some of the facts that happened 20 years ago where if we were going to go after Joe Biden, that's when we should have done it. We didn't touch him then. Now he's just a civilian and we're trying to bring back stale 20 years beer. ago, he was a senator. Well, I'm, I'm sorry, 10 years ago. <laughs> 10 years now, ago. Let me, uh, just, why do you think, I'm just curious, in terms of Joe Biden, why do you think his campaign registered in 88 before, you know, before um, the Neil Canuck scandal? I mean, he was one of the front runners. And why do you think he wasn't able to register when he ran himself in 2008? That's that you'd have to ask somebody who was around back then, quite frankly. I'm just curious why. Cause I mean, I remember his 2008 campaign, and one of the reasons Barack Obama chose him is he was one of the most charismatic people in the, one of the best debaters. And I never understood why he got so, why he never was able to register in 2008. Well, he was never able to register in 2008. I mean, I mean, I was actually on his campaign. So in 2008, um, there were a bunch of reasons, and that and and without going into too much detail uh it, it, the 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 vice president and and his own strengths are frequently undone by the weaknesses on, um, uh, on the back end he's his worst enemy right. he is his worst enemy is no, that but he's, but he's also his, his his biggest strength but 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 again i, I don't want to i don't want to go down not, in, I, into his i don't want to go down the but, but, but actually but since but since 88 was the cutoff for rich by the way impressive for, for going uh, don't, on to 88 no, don't encourage this no no don't encourage no no, this. no, no, no oh, but right the, the, yeah right on the precipice you're right you're, but there there is another there is another 88 stop moment. laughing charlie that's you know you're encouraging too no george herbert walker bush one of his kids went to jail while he was in office that he pardoned on the way out the door um yeah, Neil. Yeah, Neil Bush. And worth noting, there were, while there were suggestions that, you know, he just did this for his son, of course he did it. He bailed out his son. But there was no suggestion that George Herbert Walker Bush was dirty and was did anything wrong along with his boy. I, I have no recollection no, of that. No, no, no. But I mean, but again, Rich, I don't know. Do you have any memory of, of any suggestion that George Herbert Walker Bush was dirty because his son Neil went to jail? No. No, absolutely not. George Herbert Walker Bush was a saint. He was a political saint. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> I'm just leaving it at that. No, you, know, you do not invoke the name of Jerry of 41 that way. I'm just saying. Uh, I- don't, you don't point at me here. I'm pointing up. I'm pointing up. I'm pointing up. I'm actually using it as a direct comparison no, no, and but, a fair comparison. Thing, no, but here, just don't he, go after Chester Arthur. Jesus, again with Chester. You, you see, he just violated the, the, the <laughs> sanction right there. No, no. He, he was referring to the Simpsons episode that had Chester A. Arthur, which actually, actually happened in 1989. Yep. Okay, there we go. Yeah, actually, uh, they had an episode with Lyndon LaRouche on there, too, I remember. Stop. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> Two of you are don't impossible. have a cow, man. I, I know. Yeah, thank, thanks, Charlie. The, the guy who ran, I think, nine times for president, right. never quite succeeded. Okay, we're, okay, that's did, enough. Didn't he die? Oh, yeah, Lord. he did die about a year ago. Okay, let's that's close why he's this. Not running this time. Yeah, let's let's close <laughs> let's close this out. I, I you know, uh, last question is the big question right now is: Does this happen before the holiday? Uh, before the end of the year, or does this go into January? Dan Lipner? Which part? The the trial, the actual trial going. Oh, January, easily. Uh, in the January, probably February. Are, do you think that they may hold They may hold the uh, article vote until after the holidays? Probably not. They, they got to get that done. The, the article vote is, you know, it, that, 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 that's my Christmas wish. <laughs> Rich Rubino, do do they do they go to? Yeah, I think I think they'll do the. Um, they'll do the I think I think they'll do the article vote probably prior to the holidays, and they'll go into recess, and then the actual um, Senate trial will probably be in January, is my guess. Okay, interesting. All right, uh, on behalf of the political dreidel, Dan Lipner. <laughs> We've got Rich Rubino out in uh, the Bay State area. Uh, Charlie Bernie, thank you very much for keeping us honest and chiming in. Uh, uh, Manny, thank you very much for working the phones and everything. Uh, We will be back. Uh, You definitely want to listen to the next podcast. We're going to be talking about the FBI, and we're going to be talking to we're going to be talking Kurdistan, Iran, and Syria. On our next podcast, we're going to have uh, interesting discussions. 
Uh, you can follow us on our Twitter feed, at Backroom Politics. You can follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Backroom Politics Radio. Go to our website, uh, backroompolitics.org, or you can also download us as a podcast on your favorite podcast service, whether it's Google, Apple, uh, Spotify, uh, iHeartRadio. We're pretty much everywhere now. We're kind of a big deal. Have a great week, America. See you.